Hey, y'all. Welcome back as we continue our journey through Genesis with chapter 28. And we're actually going to backtrack to the very end of chapter 27 in verse 46. Then Rebecca said to Isaac, I'm sick and tired of these local Hittite women. I would rather die than see Jacob marry one of them. So Isaac called for Jacob, blessed him, and said, You must not marry any of these Canaanite women. Instead, go at once to Padan Aram, to the house of your grandfather Bethuel, and marry one of your uncle Laban's daughters. May God Almighty bless you and give you many children, and may your descendants multiply and become many nations. May God pass on to you and your descendants the blessings he's promised to Abraham. May you own this land where you are now living as a foreigner, for God gave this land to Abraham. So y'all, the word of God is alive, so we need to be reading it like it's alive. So that's what we're doing, because the Bible is not boring. In verse 5, it continues, So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram to stay with his uncle Laban, his mother's brother, the son of Bethuel the Aramean. Esau knew that his father Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him to Padan Aram to find a wife, and that he had warned Jacob, You must not marry a Canaanite woman. He also knew that Jacob had obeyed his parents and gone to Padan Aram. It was now very clear to Esau that his father did not like the local Canaanite women. Remember, they're bad eggs. In verse 9, it continues. So Esau visited his uncle Ishmael's family and married one of Ishmael's daughters, in addition to the wives he already had. He knew his wife, or his new wife's name was Mahalath. She was the sister of Neboeth and the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son. So he had apparently two wives already. It doesn't say that they're Canaanite, but one could probably presume that they are based on the fact that he's trying to rush out and marry a non-Canaanite woman now that he's realized and it's very clear to him that his father does not like the local Canaanite women. He's trying to like please his father and gain favor in the family. He's feeling very, I imagine he's feeling very, I don't know, defeated. His brother stole his birthright and his blessing and his getting sent off. The promise that God had made is, again, reiterated in Jacob. And um, I can't imagine, but I, I, I feel like he's probably feeling a bit left out here and is wanting to, to please his father and gain favor in the family again. In verse 10, it continues. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamt of a stairway that reached from the earth up to the heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. 
in all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything that I have promised you. So this is what's referred to as Jacob's ladder. In this dream that Jacob had, God built this ladder and it connects us to God and it shows the connection of us to God. God comes to us down the ladder and it's a reminder that that God is still with him and God he speaks the covenant to Jacob. And remember, Jacob hasn't, he's not a believer. When he spoke before, he said, your God, he hasn't accepted God as his own. But regardless, God is still giving him this blessing and speaking the covenant to Jacob and speaking the will over his life. God is speaking God's will over Jacob's life. And he renews this covenant with Jacob. So regardless of Jacob, God's plan remains no matter what. So Jacob doesn't even have faith in God yet and has done nothing good, but God still honors that covenant and blesses him and gives him unwavering grace. And we'll continue. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. And so I'm going to pause again. He sees a connection between the earth and the heavens. And just like um, us, we have that connection between the earth and the heavens through Jesus. Jesus became that connection for us so we could connect to God through Jesus. He, He bridged that gap that was created when sin fell on the earth in Genesis chapter 3. In verse 18, the next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against, and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. He named that place Bethel, which means house of God, although it was previously called Luz, which means separation. Then Jacob made this bow, bow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he is providing me with food and clothing, and if I'm returning safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. So he creates a memorial to remember this this instant, this moment in life that God touched his heart and he does accept God as his God and he does believe he now declares that God is his God and he makes that makes that transition and then he wants to remember that which is something we need to do we always need to stop and remember all the great things that God does in our lives and not forget the good the good and great and amazing things that God does in our lives in chapter 29 it continues Then Jacob hurried on, finally arriving in the land of the east. I imagine now he has a spring in his step and he's got little happy feet as he travels on because God is his God now. He has God on his side. In verse 2, he saw a well in the distance. Three flocks of sheep and goats lay in an open field beside it, waiting to be watered. But a heavy stone covered the mouth of the well. It was the custom there to wait for all the flocks to arrive before removing the stone and watering the animals. Afterward, the stone would then be placed back over the mouth of the well. 
Jacob went over to the shepherds and asked, Where are you from, my friends? He's all happy. Where are you from, my friends? Um, so his happy feet bring him to these people. And then they answer, We are from Haran, he said. Do you know a man there named Laban, the grandson of Nahor, he asked. Yes, we do, they replied. Is he doing well? Jacob asked. Yes, he's well, they answered. Look, here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the flock now. So, he sees Rachel for the first time. He sees Rachel. He has his first look at a very beautiful girl. In verse 7, Jacob said, Look, it's still broad daylight, too early to round up the animals. Why don't you water the sheep and goats so they can get back out to the pasture? Basically, he's like, he sees this beautiful girl. And he's like, scram, guys. He sees she's coming. I want to talk to her. In verse 8, we can't water the animals until all the flocks have arrived, they replied. Then the shepherds move the stone from the mouth of the well, and we water all the sheep and the goats. And then it's like, ah, shucks, they're going to follow the rules. In verse 9, Jacob was, was still talking with them when Rachel arrived with her father's flock, for she was a shepherd. And because Rachel was his cousin, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and because the sheep and goats belonged to his uncle Laban, Jacob went over to the well and moved the stone from its mouth and watered its his uncle's flock. So in this time period and in this culture, it was still okay to marry cousins. It, it wasn't frowned upon yet in this time and in this culture. And he sees this beautiful woman. She's a shepherd. She's a working girl. She's got some character behind that beauty. And he wants to prove his manhood. He he does a total man move here. And he's like, I'm going to move this big heavy stone. And I'm going to water the flock for them. And if you remember, it's very um, similar to when Rebecca watered Isaac's camels. And it being helpful and being working and serving, it, it makes a good first impression. These people are really great at first impressions. And then in verse 11, then Jacob kissed Rachel and he wept aloud. So this is a cultural kiss, not a passionate kiss. We're not sure why he's weeping other than he's just emotionally overtaken by her beauty and character, perhaps. I don't know. But this is just a normal greeting, a normal kiss on the cheek or wherever they kiss in their culture. It's, it's not like a romantic, I love you and I want to be your wife kiss. Verse 12. He explained to Rachel that he was her cousin on her father's side, the son of her aunt Rebecca. So Rachel quickly ran and told her father Laban. As soon as Laban heard that his nephew Jacob had arrived, he ran out to meet him. He embraced and kissed him and brought him home. When Jacob had told him his story, Laban exclaimed, You really are my own flesh and blood. So again, see, he kissed Laban too. So it's, it's, not, it's just a greeting they did. Continuing on, after Jacob had stayed with Laban for about a month, Laban said to him, you shouldn't work for me without pay just because we are relatives. Tell me how much your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The oldest daughter was named Leah and the younger one was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Agreed, Laban replied. I'd rather give her to you to, than to anyone else. Stay and work with me. 
So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed only but a few days. So on that note, the the work and the weight and the attitude through all this, it, it proves his heart and character that he really truly loved this girl. And when we work and wait and let our positive attitude show, it proves where our hearts are. In verse 21, finally, the time came for him to marry her. I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. But that night, when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob and he slept with her. Laban had given Leah a servant, Zilpah, to be her maid. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me? Jacob raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? It's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied. But wait until the bridal week is over, and then I will give you Rachel too, provided you promise to work another seven years for me. So Jacob agreed to work seven more years. A week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. Laban gave Rachel a servant Bilhah to be her maid. So Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her much more than Leah. He then stayed and worked for Laban the additional seven years. So a few things here. Sometimes God lets you run into yourself. People often look at outward approval or appearance. I'm sorry. People look at outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And God is looking at at Jacob here. And he, he, he lets him get tricked just like he tricked Esau. And he let Jacob run into himself and Jacob's looking at the outward appearance. He didn't, he wasn't attracted to Leah. He didn't want to marry her, but he got tricked and now he's married to her and he is the deceiver, but he becomes deceived just like when there was the switching between him and Esau. Esau was the oldest, but it got switched to the youngest, but they did it through trickery just in same in this situation. And he did right. He worked seven years. But just because you do right doesn't mean the world will do right by you. Just like Esau, he went and did everything he was supposed to do, but he didn't get the blessing that Jacob did. And right off the bat, in this family, we have the same favoritism and dysfunction popping up. He loves Rachel and favors her over Leah. So we have a little bit of a mess brewing in verse 31. When the Lord saw Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children, but Rachel could not conceive. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, The Lord has noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. So Reuben means, Behold, a son. So this is their firstborn son. She soon became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She named him Simon, for she said, The Lord heard that I was unloved and has given me another son. And Simon means to hear. Then she came, became pregnant a third time and gave birth to another son. His name was Levi, for she said, Surely this time my husband will feel affection for me, since I have given him three sons. And Levi means attached or to join. In thirty-five, verse 35, Once again Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. She named him Judah, for she said, Now I will praise the Lord. And then she stopped having children. And Judah means praise. So here we have the story of Jacob becoming a husband to two women 
um, tricked the exact same way he tricked others. And we have favoritism and dysfunction already entering into this family. So we will continue on tomorrow with chapter 30 and see where this road leads. I hope you all are having a most wonderful day. 